it's that time of the week already. Another Irish in Sweden podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Philip O'Connor and this is your weekly dose of Irish in Sweden. What it's like to be here, what it's like to live here, all these kinds of things that we get into. Um, thanks to everybody who's been in touch for over the last couple of weeks. It's been nice to get uh, some feedback for a change. Uh, from people talk, just talking to various different people who enjoyed different interviews, different little slots on the shows. Do you know what you could do, right? Now that we're all back from our holidays, now that the out of office is turned off and Kevin Carroll has picked up his hammer again and Brian Burns is teaching out in Vicra and their classes are starting and that kind of thing. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, listen to it for a few minutes on whatever, on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, whatever you get it. Go in, give it an L rating, right? D- d- not if you don't like it. Right? If you don't like it, don't bother rating it at all. But uh, if you have a chance, uh, click on the L five stars. Uh, throw in a couple of words there. Very good. Enjoy that, whatever. Uh, because it helps to lift the podcast up the rankings. And she, you never know. We might get another couple of people uh, listen to the podcast. And they might even want to sponsor it by going into patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm and throwing a few bobs at it every week. As no doubt you are your good self already, the generous kind of person that you are. Or maybe you're the kind of person who likes to go to Swish and you swish a few bob every month to one two three two four two four one six six. Or maybe you're Michelle Cotter or somebody working the Revolut who can actually help me get that sorted out as well so that uh, all you people sitting out there with a ton of money in Revolut who might want to contribute to the podcast can do that as well. There you go. We got that in early this week. But yeah, the old reviews, that kind of thing do help. So um, if you can click on those buttons, that'd be great. But sure, if not, we're still going to be here one way or the other. And this week, we're going to be having a little bit of a chat about politics with Paul O'Mahony from the local.se, a very experienced journalist and an all-round nice guy, former footballer. Uh, He broke that news to me as we had lunch before the podcast. He's retired from football now. I still don't have the common sense to do that. In my own mind, I'm still playing away there. And indeed, I'll be playing at the upcoming Gaelic football tournament here in Stockholm on the 27th of August. And indeed, um, I've been involved a little bit in the organising of this tournament, which has taken place at Scalpnex EP, I think it's kicking off, or the first ball goes up at 10 o'clock in the morning there. So there's a bunch of teams coming. We'll have uh, Odense from Denmark, who won the first two rounds of the Nordic Championship this year. Uh, they hosted the second round, and uh, because of how difficult it is to get to, unfortunately, we didn't have uh, a whole lot of teams who were willing to travel down there. So they won that one. Uh, they won the one down in Copenhagen, as you might recall, a few months ago. Uh, the Gales struggled that day. We didn't do very well at all. It didn't play up to our potential, but... Regardless of who wins and loses, this is a great opportunity now to get out uh, all together at the end of the summer on the 27th. Now, I believe, you never know, there might have even been a text message in my phone you hear in the background there. Um, I believe there's going to be a family day down there as well with the Swedish Irish Society and Sophie Murphy and all the great people who are involved there. Uh, so they're organising a few little bits and pieces for families down there. We'll have more than that, more about that closer to the date, but it is the 27th of August. Uh, if you've been here before, you'll know what great days these tournaments tend to be, right? They're just, they're great crack. There's good football on show. It's lovely to meet Paul Curley and the lads from Gothenburg. I'm sure there'll be a few people coming up from Malmo. I know uh, Copenhagen are sending a team up. I, I can't remember the last time they were here, but they're always good folks to get up there. Um, there's a good bit of uh, a good bit of ball played. We have a bit of lunch during the day, and then this year I think we're going to be presenting the prizes straight after the final and straight after you know when the men's and women's finals are played. And then everybody is free to go and have a few beers and explore the town. We used to do this big meal thing at the end where all the players had to go in, but it's like herding cats, and not everybody wants to go to the same place. So if you're up here from Copenhagen, not in the same way as if I'm down in Malmo, or whatever, I have people I want to see, and I might go and want to meet them somewhere else. But um, There'll be a lot of social stuff going around on the day, but if you just want to get out uh, and enjoy the sport, and indeed I was talking to Paul, who you'll hear from briefly, uh, and his sons, who are seven and nine, have um, they were in Ireland over the over the summer, and they picked up a couple of hurlies and uh, they got cracking into that. So they're mad showing the young fellas and young ones out in Hellkelling and where they live how to play a bit of hurling. So um, I'm not sure if there's going to be any hurling on the day. There are uh, people who are more informed than me who'll be able to tell you about that. 
But I have to give a bit of credit to uh, Suzanne Hunt and to Carol Feehan and to, to Hazel and to all the boys and girls on the committee of the Stockholm Gales, right? As you, you're probably well aware, I was involved in the club for years, helped set it up with uh, Colin Courtney, who I think is coming out, not coming out of retirement, Colin never retired, but hopefully he'll be uh, playing on the day and we'll have a few old boys getting out there. And indeed, if you want to play, hit me up because we're looking for a few elves to get out there now. You know, there's the 35 pluses. Uh, Kevin Carroll is wandering down there showing off his six pack on social media but I think he's going to get in there as well and it would be great to get as many of the, the older older players as possible out on the day and we'll see if we can give these young players a run for their money because if not we'll have a bit of gas if nothing else you know but um yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to doing that. But the committee, as I was saying, of the Stockholm Gales and the committee of all the clubs do a hell of an amount of work, right? So it's everything from getting energy drinks and getting water and getting lunches sorted out, fixing up the goals, lining the pitches, booking the pitches. And I know how much work goes into it. And I'm just involved in a small way myself uh, this time around doing it. And I'm just, I'm hugely grateful that, you know, after doing it for 10 or 12 years, I didn't have the energy to be doing it anymore. But there's this fantastic group of people who have taken over. And the same has to be said for, you know, the club up in Yavlin and Lulio and, and, you know, wherever you go in the world of Gaelic games, there are people who are willing to give their time to do this. And without them, there is nothing. There's no tournament. Without them, we're standing there with a size 5 or a size 4 O'Neill's ball and we're just having a kickabout. But they're the ones who put the effort in and that and they've done a brilliant job all year. And it's been tough because I'm sure there's one or two years listening to this, you know, post-COVID, that maybe you didn't get back playing again. And you went, yeah, well, I'd love to, but, you know, I'm actually going to go to Ireland for three four weeks because I can and I don't have to get a whole heap of tests or you're back in the gym or you picked up playing soccer again or like Julia Shelson that you were off climbing Kilimanjaro jeez we have to drag her back into the studio as well because that climb has been done and dusted now so we'll have to have a little chat with her about that but yeah so maybe it hasn't fit in and it has been a struggle to get a few numbers and that I know the clubs are working and that happened up in, in I think it's happened in pretty much all the clubs in the Nordic region Helsinki seem to be getting good old turnouts right enough but um it's it is difficult, you know. And, you know, you have the case of finding training pitches and this kind of thing as well. So it's been a really difficult year. And those years are the hardest, right? Because these are not the kind of people, the people who get involved in the committees are not the kind of people who tend to give up. They want to do something for their community, so they work really hard for that. So I hope that the tournament is going to be a huge success. I hope that as many people as possible are going to turn out on the 27th. As I said, the first ball goes up in the air at 10 o'clock in the morning. And that there'll be a good day of football and there'll be a good day's entertainment uh, out there for anybody who wants to show up. And sure, if you want to bring along the boot, yourself let me know in advance and we'll get as many people as possible and i mean even as i'm talking to you now right i'm ticking over my head you know uh trying to get Kieran mac out there we haven't ever managed to get him out there at all so there's bound to be a few people that might be him texting me now was blown away there on the phone and then um, so yeah we'll make a good old day of it but uh, before that let's have a little bit of a chat i wanted to talk to paul o'mahony paul is again one of when i sat down there jordan or just before the summer i was making a list of people that uh, would be good to have on the podcast and why and paul is a fascinating character like myself has done a lot of journalism in the region uh, he worked as a freelancer he's worked for the associated press i think Jesus, about 10 or 15 years ago we were doing the diamond league in stockholm which is a, an athletics event that takes place uh, in the old Olympic Stadium that was built for the 1912 Olympics, you know, and uh, we've known each other, you know, pretty much ever since we got here, really, in our own way. And uh, I wanted to get him in here because he's one of those people who knows a lot about Swedish life and Swedish politics because he's been a long time in a couple of different stints at the local. Now, if you don't know what the local is, or if you've only just, if you came down the last year or you've only just moved over, the local is basically the, the best and almost only source of English language news over here. Now, people will tell you about, you know, various other uh, outlets and that kind of thing. They're not up to much, lads. But the local is definitely uh, one that's, that's worth following it's worth going on to the website there and as we talk about during the conversations worth becoming a member because again no more me plugging the podcast and trying to get a few bob through patreon and swish at the start these things cost money and it's not like the old days where you used to be able to sort of um support these things with advertising i'm very very grateful to martin hessian of veerstums and the irish chamber of commerce in sweden who supported these podcasts um pretty much since the very beginning but it's it's hard to make uh you know a, a website or a newspaper or anything that can solely depend on advertising so they do depend on membership and uh, i think you'll understand why when you have it now i don't think paul works a whole lot with the actual covering of elections anymore but he sat down with me came into the little studio this week and he sat down with me just to go through the runners and riders the state of swedish politics so it's a good sort of primer if you 
haven't um if you haven't been involved or if you haven't been paying attention to Swedish politics before that and God knows you don't only have to be a new arrival for that, right? I know there's plenty of years out there who wouldn't know your Magdalene Andersons from your Ulf Christensen's, right? But uh, we thought we'd go through all these things just to give you an idea of what it is because some of you will have a vote in the local elections which are really, really important, much more so maybe than in Ireland. So uh, it's definitely worth uh, having a listen and just seeing who they are and what we can all expect from the upcoming election. So let's have a little listen here to this chat with Paul O'Mahony from the local.se who dropped in very kindly to the Irish and Sweden podcast during the week to give us the lowdown on politics. Check all these things before you start recording. Well, here we are. Paul O'Mahony, Editorial Product Manager at the local.se. That's why, Philip. How are you? Long good, time thanks. no see. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been years since we caught up, so uh, good to good to see you. Indeed, and we'll get. We've we've done some of the social stuff so far, right? We've been talking about Longholm, and we had Marco Sullivan on the podcast last week and that kind of thing. But today, Paul, we're going to talk just a little bit about politics. There's yep. an election coming up. It's uh, people are voting on the first Sunday in September, and people are sort of asking me, going, "Well, why should I be interested in this? I don't have a vote. I don't care." And that kind of thing. Well, that doesn't matter because it's going to affect you if you're living in this country, right? Is it the first Sunday in September? It's the eleventh, isn't it? Oh, sorry, the second Sunday the in second September. Second Sunday, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, thankfully I'm going to be away, so I'm going to avoid the whole oh, sort yeah. of fiasco. Yeah, thanks be to Jesus, I'll be away. But uh, it's usually like because those days when you work in freelance journalism, you start at like eight o'clock in the morning when yeah, the polls yeah, open yeah. or an hour before, and you keep going then until there's a result. I'll be busy that day, I think. Uh, we, we, we live at hope. How long have you been in Sweden now, Paul? I've been here for uh, 23 years. Jesus. Same as, actually, are you longer than me? I don't think so. No, I, no. I think you're, you're a little bit longer. Which is like a week or two or something. It, probably like was, you, it was June 99 I came. Yeah, it was the same. I was the first week in June. No well. way. Yeah. I was about third week of June, I think. Jesus, and we cha- changed the country. <laughs> there you go. So I beat you by about two weeks. Um, just in general then, Paul, like when, did you started, like when did you start to pay attention to politics in this country? Did you, you know, by reading the news or that kind of thing? Very early on, I I think I was always interested in politics. So from the from the minute I arrived here, I was kind of fascinated by Sweden, you know. So I wanted to kind of figure out what made it tick. Mm. Uh, so I started reading the newspapers as, as soon as I could. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's a, an interesting one actually because when I st- we used to have this newspaper called Metro, which yep. was written in what they call Letsvenska, light Swedish, right? And that was my first sort of source of things. Can you remember because? Jeez, we sound like two proper elflers there, but there was no internet. We, are, we, just, we just need the pints in front of us now. Pint of Guinness each and we'll be sorted. That can be arranged. <laughs> uh, but, but can you remember what sources you had? I don't there? think either of us drink, do we? No. No. <laughs> I was going to say we could we'll have the, up there. We'll have the zeros. Guinness zero. Guinness zero. We get onto the boys there. But yeah, where, where did you get your information from? Because was your, your partner Swedish at the time or how did you? No, no. I just came here on my own out of curiosity. I had some Swedish friends, so I just kind of landed here one summer. Uh, and got various kind of odd jobs for the first few years. And where I got my information from, yeah, Metro, definitely, mm. on the on the Tunnelbana. Uh, but I, I started reading, like, Dogger's Knee Heather and Svenska Dogblad, that, you know, I think, you know, my first job actually was cleaning at the hospital in Uppsala, and they had the newspapers there, so I would read the read the newspapers in my breaks. Yeah. Because I'd come from, from Germany and realised fairly quickly that the written languages are quite similar, you know, so yeah. I was able to pick it up. So you have Arbeta is the Swedish word for work and Arbeid is yeah, the German exactly, word. So exactly, exactly. So it took a while to, to, to start to speak, but reading was fine quite mm. quickly, you know. And when you're doing that, because it's one thing to be able to read the words, Paul, right? But it's another thing to be able to put these things in context. What yeah. did you know about Sweden before you moved here? You mentioned you, you sort of came over here on your own. Was it because yeah. you had some fascination with this place? Yeah, but the fascination came kind of quite late in life. I studied I, I studied European studies in, in Limerick and did sort of the two language option there, French and and German. And I spent uh, a semester in, in France and met a bunch of Swedes there and had a little bit of free time. So I did a beginner's course in, in Swedish just for the heck of it, because I was it was kind of the final year of college. I had a lot, you know, I was writing my final year project. It was quite stressful. I thought I wanted to do something that was a bit sort of a bit more bit more fun hmm. and I enjoyed languages so I thought for the crack you know I learned a bit of Swedish uh, so that was kind of my introduction to it hmm. so I, and then I kind of developed a fascination just through my friends I asked them lots about Sweden and you know and then I thought well when I finished my degree didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life uh, so I said I, co- I come to Sweden for a couple of weeks and here I am 23 years later you know it was a happy accident. It really sounds like one of those dartboard moments yeah like, you know where like ah oh, fuck it I go to Sweden it was like you know? that yeah have you ever regretted it? 
Many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually, uh, after about five or six years here, I was done. I was, I was really finished with it. And then I was going to move to, to Berlin, actually, because I loved, I lived in, I had lived in Germany two years previously and loved Germany. Mm. Uh, and just at a, exactly the same time, I met my wife. So it was kind of sliding doors. Then do I go to Germany? Or do I give it a go with this with this new woman I've met, you know? So, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Mm. But, of course, we'll have to point out now to listeners that since you met your wife, you haven't regretted it one bit. That's right? exactly right. There I'm you glad go. you pointed that we'll out. That yeah, big letters. Yes, for sure, yeah. Though, you know? And it's actually, it's actually true. I think, you know, I was kind of disillusioned with Sweden after the first few years. Uh, but then, you know, gradually started a family and did all that stuff. And then you uh, really developed a new appreciation for it. Mm. Uh, Oddly enough, that kind of leads us back to politics because when I moved over here, this was Olaf Palme's social democratic yeah. paradise. It was the welfare state. Nobody needed to want for anything. There was a safety yeah. net for everybody, very inclusive, very equal. Um, is that what Sweden is today politically or has it moved on since we got oh, here? It's moved massively since then. And I think, you know, it, it was like that when, when we moved here, certainly. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, personally, I found the environment then a little bit stifling mm. and I, th- I found things a little bit dull and I think Sweden possibly needed a shake-up I think since then it's had way too much of a shake-up mm. uh, but in 2008 the the moderate party won the election or the the, or the alliance the four-party alliance won the election the liberal sort of centre-right alliance and that shook things up massively because they ruled then for the for the next eight years and uh, yeah Sweden changed has changed a lot since then mm. Let's go down through the parties just to give people an yep. idea of what you got, right? So we'll start on, in inverted commas, the far left. You have Venstapartiet, yep. the left party. So they're the former communist yep. party here. These would have been the lads with the hammer and sickle banners exactly, back in yeah. the 70s, right? You have the Social Democrats, the party of Palme, you yep. know, equivalent of the Irish or British Labour Party yep. in more ways than one at the moment, it has to be said. You have Milieu Partiet, which is yep. the Green Party. Um, then you have the centre party, right? Yeah. And they're pretty much a farmer's party, if I'm not mistaken, are they? Yeah, exactly. The former um, Bunda Verbunda, yeah, the former sort of farmer's alliance. Mm. Um, and they're now a sort of a nominally a, a centre, centre-right centre party, but I would say they're quite socially socially liberal, mm. uh, but sort of fiscally conservative mm. and um, kind of, you know, on on the right wing of, of uh, finance, financial politi- policies. If you're going to compare them to an Irish political party, they always, there's a bit of a bang of Fianna Gael off them. Or yeah, there is. There is. I would, agree, I would agree with that. To be honest, I think you, you follow Irish politics very closely. I, I don't that much, but I think, you know, obviously historically, I think, yeah, there are definitely, you know, yeah, there is a whiff of Fianna Gael off them. <laughs> Congratulations on not following Irish politics so closely. <laughs> now, one of the things that we don't really have in Ireland is the equivalent of what are now called Liberal and I used to be Folk Party, yeah. uh, the People's Party. In Ireland, I don't think we ever had really this sort of the idea of sort of classical liberalism. No. What kind of party are they? What were they and what are they now, do you think? Yeah, they're um, they're quite a divided party, I would say. There's sort of, you know, there's a very sort of socially liberal wing and then there's more of a socially conservative wing. Mm. And I think there's been sort of an internal struggle between those two wings of the party for as long as I can remember. So you're always a little bit unsure of what you're you're getting with them. Yeah. I think their their last leader, Nyamko Sabuni, she was on the conservative side of things. The new leader who took over a couple of months ago, Johan Persson, he's more on the sort of more classical liberal side. Yeah. Um, and back when when we moved here first, there was a guy called Lars Leonboy yep. in charge. And uh, he was he was more sort of, he was moving things in a sort of, uh, he was quite critical of Sweden's integration policies and he tried to introduce language tests which was extremely controversial at the time mm. and he was accused of flirting with the far right and you look at how Sweden Swedish politics has gone since then social democrats have have suggested bringing language tests mm. for citizenship and now for residence permits as well and almost all parties are on board with it and there's very little criticism mm. so the whole sort of political discourse has shifted there we'll get back to that boiling of the frog the political frog in a yeah. second right we'll just continue our journey towards the right you have the moderate party who would yep. be to me the closest thing i can think of is england's conservative party that's basically now, yes definitely yeah. definitely oh, but okay so would you argue that there were something else previously then 
I would say when we moved here first, they were the Conservative Party, and then they moved massively towards the centre within the Reinfeld era, mm-hmm. uh, 2008, and they tried to make themselves much more palatable for left-wing voters and mm-hmm. succeeded in that. They you man- managed to lure a lot of uh, social Democrat vo- traditional Social Democrat voters and, and won two elections. Yeah. But then, you know, after 2014, Frederick Reinfeld resigned straight after the election, and they have they have shifted much more in a conservative direction again since then. So would what they have done would that would you sort of liken that maybe to Angela Merkel in Germany the way she sort of you know created this thing in the centre? I think that's a really good analogy actually. Yeah, and because her, because her Christian Democratic Union has moved moved back towards conservatism very quickly again since she left. Mm. And then on the far right of Swedish politics, you have the Sweden Democrats, yes. um, a former SS member among their founding yes. members and that kind of thing. Who are these guys? Well, they started out as uh, Bavara Sveriges Svensk, Keep Sweden Swedish, yeah. very unsavoury neo-Nazi kind of bunch. And a lot of the current leadership was around back then. Mm. And they're doing everything they can to shake off that sort of, you know, that label mm. uh, of a sort of a neo, neo-Nazi fascist party. And, you know, they've, they've been helped quite a lot by parties of the centre-right, apart from the, the centre party, I would say. So the, the Liberal Party, to a lesser extent the Liberal Party, but the, the Moderate Party and the, the Christian Democrats have, uh, have said that they, they, they would rule with the support of the Sweden Democrats if they were elected, which I, is which is a massive shift in Swedish politics. I think that was an actual sort of Freudian thing. The Christian Democrats are completely missed on our journey there from yes. left to right. Emma <laughs> Bush Thor. Um, one of these parties, the Christian Democrats have never really been a huge power here because it's not really a sort of a, a religious country as no. such, but there are pockets of support for them to keep them there up. Are, yeah. Now, they're also always at risk because you've got to get 4% of the vote for your party yeah. before you can take any seats. And them and the Liberals and the Green Party, Milieu Party, are sort of always hovered around that. Yeah. They're another party that have gone very much towards the far right in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it was it happened after a leadership change. They had a guy called Jordan Heglund for mm. a good number of years in the sort of, he was a, a key member of that sort of alliance that ruled Sweden from 2008 to 2014. Um, and he was, he was, like remarkably socially liberal for a Christian Democrat because mm. they have traditionally been quite a conservative party, sort of um, sort of anti anti abortion, um, that kind of thing, um, and then Ebba Ebba Bush came in and yeah she's she's moved them very far to the right and she she was the one who sort of brought the Sweden Democrats in from the from the cold, mm. all the other parties for years had had made a point of isolating the Sweden Democrats. But at this sort of annual Almadalen political event, she sat down and had a meal of meatballs with uh, Jimmy Okerson, the, the leader of the Sweden Democrats, and suddenly everything was everything was changed in Swedish politics. You know? How big is that change? Because when you look at Norway, Finland, Denmark, they have all had, you know, their equivalent of the Swedish, uh, of the Sweden Democrats in power. They've yeah. all, all, you have uh, the same thing, the, the true Finns in Finland. They've all sort yeah. of made it into government and pretty much been fucked back out again reasonably they quickly. Have, yeah. So how big is it now that Sweden, which was the sort of, you know, the lodestar, the leading light, are now sort of following the rest of them five or ten years later? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, we, we had an interesting um, interview on The Local this week with a woman called... Mua Berilov, who was one of the, who was one of uh, Friedrich Reinfeldt, the former moderate prime minister, his, uh, yeah. he, she was one of his advisors, and uh, she was famously responsible for writing his Open Your Hearts speech, like yeah. uh, recommending that Sweden take in lots of refugees from, be more generous from Syria, be more generous, exactly. And the moderate party and the alliance parties at that time presented quite a positive image of Sweden. They said, we're a good country, we can do better. And I think what's happened is that, you know, things have gone in a much more negative direction. And she, what she says is that it's been kind of a, a race to the bottom now. Mm. Uh, as people, you know, the Sweden Democrats have have portrayed this image of Sweden being a country in crisis, riven by gang wars and shootings and everything's terrible. Immigrants have made the country much worse. And the parties of the the, the Mother Party and the, the Christian Democrats have kind of copied this rhetoric and it sort of sucked some of the sucked some of the energy and some of the hope out of the the Swedish political discourse, which is it was a bit depressing to be honest. Mm. 
Um, I remember covering elections in Denmark where Helle Thorning-Schmidt, who eventually became Prime Minister there, talked about wanting to walk down the street in Copenhagen and if she saw a person from another country, she wanted to see in their eyes a Dane looking back at them, right? Yeah. Is this not just Germany in the 1930s regurgitated for Scandinavia? Um, in, 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 what's, in, in the sense that the general political... No, I mean that it's possible to say things in Sweden and Denmark and Norway and Finland now that it just wouldn't have yeah. been possible to say in the 1990s when we moved here. Yeah, that's true, definitely. Or it, it, the 90s was an interesting period because I think that was... That was a time, you know, if you went down to Gamlestan, there were, there were neo-Nazis hanging, hanging around by the water. So there was a lot of this sort of far-right stuff going on in the 90s. The 2000s, the first decade, um, was a more sort of positive era, but it's gone back to sort of closer to the 90s now, I would say. Mm-hmm. How much of that is to do with Donald Trump, Viktor Orban, Bolsonaro in Brazil? Is Sweden just riding the same? There's definitely, there's definitely an element of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know you've seen with the, with the Sweden Democrats um, when they when they came into Parliament they had what just they just barely scraped over the threshold mm. and then they they grew and grew and grew and in the last election they had eighteen percent you know mm. and when a party has eighteen percent of the vote then the other parties have to take them seriously and that's what the center center right parties have said you know it's like you know th- th- this is a big big uh, constituency mm. we can't just ignore all these people who are voting for them. Mm. Um, and that that does reflect a sort of the rise of the the far right in in Hungary, in in France, and every you know mm. across Europe. Really, you mentioned that you can't just ignore who's voting for them. Who do you think is voting for the Sweden Democrats at this point? <sighs> kind of everybody, you know. Um, they've they, I know they've they've um, attracted a lot of traditional sort of social democrat lo sort of members of the union members the trade yeah. union confederation yeah um that's something that they've that they've been worried about for for years and years that they've been bleeding voters to the to the Sweden democrats but really it's across the board you know it's all walks of life now there are people voting for Sweden democrats hmm. i was in um a small town, I'm not going to name it because it's not here to defend itself. But before the last election, we went down to do some reporting from a small town in Sweden. And it was very typical, you know, uh, you know, what's that line of Spansel Hill? The young ones are all, or no, the old ones are all dead and gone and the young ones moved away, yeah. you know. But this place had been sort of kept on life support because after the... Um, the, the wave of refugees that came in 2016 th- this mm. place had had like you know maybe 800 a thousand people there yeah. and that brought with it like you know all this money you know and they were oh this is brilliant like the town is alive mm. again there's people in the shops but the people still told me that they were voting for Sweden Democrats and it was kind of like that thing in Ireland oh we'll show them boys up in Dublin yeah. and this is the thing there is there a huge level of disfa- dissatisfaction amongst union members amongst people around the country and if so where might that come from how have they been let down by Reinfeldt by Joran Paschal the former Social Democrat Prime Minister um, I'm having a bit of a bit of brain freeze at, at the moment well just think right, if, if we look back you know the 80s like even the Sweden Democrats always go we want things to be the way they were before yeah, right yeah. and now they're talking about a white homogenous society mm. but you're also talking about a place where you didn't have to worry about becoming unemployed yeah, there was more wage stability certainly yeah yeah and is, is that, has that all changed over the last two decades or so? Is there much less stability, much less of a safety net for people now, do you think? There is, there is less of a safety net now, there is, but it's still there, you know, Sweden is still a lot more of a welfare state than, than most other places. So there's, mm. you know, that's part of the story, but not everything. I think it's more of sort of broader societal shifts in, in the world, um, more than just a case of Sweden going to hell in a handbasket because it hasn't really, you know, it's still a very good country in, in a lot of ways. Mm. I think Moa, Moa Berilov, this Reinfeldt advisor, I think she's right to say that, you know, that if, if politicians were portraying Sweden in a, in a more positive light, that people would see that actually, you know, this place isn't terrible because it's not, you mm. know. But is that kind of not the job of the opposition? So you would have the Social Democrats in opposition for two terms. It was actually the first yeah. time that the centre-right got re-elected. I remember uh, being part of an interview for Reuters where Reinfeldt said that in the first mandate period, they wouldn't change a whole lot. But in the yeah. second, they were going to go, and they did, they privatised a lot of stuff. They did privatise a lot yeah. of stuff, yeah. Um, but then you had, of course, uh, the Social Democrats would have been in opposition that time. Now, when they are in opposition, is it not kind of their job to point at all the things that they don't think are right? Or do they have... 
as uh, Paddy Kelly often talks about brand Sweden, you know, yeah. Marco Sullivan too, do they have a duty to sort of uphold this, you know, the almost nearly perfect image of Sweden? Are we talking about the, the Social Democrats now or the opposition? Let's just talk about the opposition in general, no matter yeah. what party is in it, because in one way you think that it would benefit everybody to have a sort of a good, that image that Sweden always had, yeah. right? But, you know, it, domestically they seem to be picking up, I mean, literally they are saying, as you said, you know, this country's going to hell in a handcart, when we know it's not really, no. you know? Um, yeah, I think the Social Democrats are interesting in that they've they've gone down this route as well. Mm-hmm. People uh, they've famously been accused of always being able to be in opposition to themselves. <laughs> uh, you know, they they they're they're pointing to everything that's that's wrong with Sweden now, even though they've ruled for the last eight years. And uh, I think one thing that's interesting is they didn't roll back all those reforms that happened in the Reinfeld era. Mm-hmm. You know, the Reinfeld um, lowered taxes which the social democrats complained about but they haven't raised them again mm. and they introduced this wave of of privatizations and the social democrats you would expect them to sort of try to renationalize but they haven't done that either and mm. um, so they've sort of accepted this this uh, societal shift and, and run with it is it fairly it seems fairly obvious to me but the social democrats you know their way of meeting you know the right wing has to become much more right wing themselves yeah right we've seen it with tony blair basically made labor electable again by becoming you know a sort of a cuddly version of the conservatives um do you think over time that's going to prove to be the right way to go because you know it's really sort of getting power for power's sake, right? Because they haven't had the majorities mm. that they would have had in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. It's still a very precarious position. Yeah, but they're doing, they're doing remarkably well for a Social Democrat party. If you look at, say, say France, the Social Democrats there, have compl- the Socialist Party has completely collapsed. What did they get? Like just 2-3% in the last election. Mm. And... Um, the, the social democrats in Germany have really have really struggled. You look at Ireland, you look at everywhere. You know, Sweden's social democrats are doing really well. So I think their strategists will say, you know, actually this is this is working for us. Mm. Which, while it might be depressing for like a traditional Labour voter who wants to see more left wing politics, I think they'll say, well, it's working. But there's definitely a constituency on the left, and there's 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 an appetite for. Uh, for more left-wing politics and you see that with Nushi Dagostar, the leader of the left party she's mm. doing really well now by pointing out that you know the, the social democrats have have moved to the left vote for us mm. the, the green party is a bit of an anomaly in this as well because they're also on the on the left of things and you would expect them to be doing quite well when Sweden is in the middle of a climate crisis but they're really struggling to, to hit the threshold is there any party that are sort of more hated than the Green Party? I mean, the abuse They're they really get. hated. It's yeah. unbelievable. Do you see that in the local, in the comments section? Or do you see it on your social media when you write about them? Not, no, I don't really. I think I see, see it more in the sort of broader, just the broader Swedish debate in, on Swedish Twitter. I don't think I don't think the locals' readers particularly hate them. Good, or, dignified people. You know? Yeah, well, not that, not that I've seen anyway. I might just have missed those threads, to be honest, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are. They are despised and, yeah. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Um, I think that it's, you mentioned that they are on the left and I don't have any time for, I don't like green parties in general, right? Because if you want a climate justice and social justice, climate justice is a part of social justice, but it's not the whole thing. No. And if you're solely going to go for the climate, I think the way to appeal to both voters and politics is to put the politics first, is to put the people first. And by going, you know, down the road of, you know, the environment, I just don't think that it appeals to people in the way that you might think. I think we have to appeal to people more, you know, more to their selfishness, right? And back in the day, I still find social democracy as a very selfish thing, right? But it means that we all get it, mm-hmm. right? It's um, kind of like there's two great political thinkers. One was Karl Marx, and the other was Groucho Marx, who said, you know, I have these principles. If you don't like them, I have other ones. And that's kind of what the social democrats have become. But at least they guaranteed that there was a sort of a, there was a base level for everybody. Whereas, the, you know, I think the Green Party in Ireland and in Sweden and pretty much everywhere now have just become this, you know, sort of tut-tutting kind of figure. I go, yeah. ah, now you have to get an electric car, electric guitar, you have to get an electric <laughs> car. Maybe an electric guitar might be better. We'd all stay home playing them, you mm. know. But and I just don't think that appeals. And it's really easy then for angry mostly men yeah. to go they're a bunch of fucking idiots in their yeah, jumpers yeah. and that kind of thing you know so even uh, if they're you know they're probably right you know I know I mean there's, there's absolutely no doubt that they are right mm. but I just don't see a situation where that sort of suite of policies that they have is going to work without things like 
making things better for workers, making things better for unemployed people, yeah. making things better for businesses too. Yeah. Because if you're going to take away all the incentive for businesses to do anything green, well then, you know, why are they going to bother? Mm. You know, so that's the hard part is finding yeah. their place. I think they do. I try to create those incentives. I think just think they have a really hard time getting their getting their policies across because people do see, as I say, this tutting and they don't see beyond that. Mm. Um, I think what, what you're saying about appealing to people's sort of more selfish nature is like the 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 left party have, have recognized that they've you know she dad gustar went out a couple of months ago and said you know don't worry about going on your holidays to majorca you know you can keep doing that mm. whereas you know obviously the green party would say the exact opposite and they're just sort of ac- acknowledging that that people are going to put themselves first yeah while they also want the country to do well i think it's a little bit of that with the green party as well that you know if you if you go for the consumer you're not realising, you know, the, the corporations, etc. You know, yeah. there's all these statistics that, you know, 10 companies are responsible for yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I can't even remember exactly. them. So I think there's a lot of reaction to that. That's, you know, indeed, I can think of people on Twitter who would say that, you know, well, what I do is not going to make mm. any difference, etc. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think, I, th- I think um, th- a lot of that is projected onto the Green Party as well. A lot of, of it, course, yeah. A lot of it unfairly, you know, I think they, they would go for the, the, the corporations as well and mm. they they would try to obviously reduce the impact of the oil industry. But, but people see them as this party that attacks the consumer um, if we zoom out just a little bit um, this election that's taking place on the 11th of September right now citizens can vote in a parliamentary election yeah. here uh, residents can vote in local elections so elections for the yeah. commune that kind of thing right but if you what things do you think people are going to be talking about for the next month what issues are going to decide uh, this election do you think um, I think there was a poll that came out recently that that put crime at the top of the uh, of people's agenda mm. uh, which is really unusual in uh, Sweden it definitely is it is yeah, yeah. It, it hasn't been a, uh, it hasn't been the main issue for a long long time we're talking decades mm. which is exactly where the right wing wants uh, the law, fo- law the f- and order law yeah. and order they want the focus to be there so they'll be they'll be delighted with that so there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of talk about about gang crime and about you know immigration's role in that mm. um and and there'll be there'll be healthcare there'll be education as well um but yeah i think you know the climate which is obviously a massive global issue at the moment that'll be quite far down the agenda maybe surprisingly so in a global perspective poor Agatha Thunberg won't be too impressed with that she won't no um NATO has that sort of disappeared as it a has sort of disappeared yeah and it's I think it, that's exactly what the the social democrats wanted mm. they wanted to get that that issue out of the way as soon as possible uh, before the summer if possible and obviously the Turkish tur- Turkish objections have have meant that it hasn't gone away completely but um and it might rear its head again in in the weeks to come but I think basically everyone now expects Sweden to join NATO and to be accepted into the into the NATO fold so it's kind of it's kind of out of the way mm. because the, the military would be more of a sort of a, ri- a right-wing issue and and something that they could could garner votes from so the social mm. democrats kind of wanted to make it go away did you notice a sort of an overnight change because I think it was the 25th of February when Russia invaded Ukraine and to me it was like turning on a light switch that this yeah. whole country just went from being either indifferent to or against NATO and it went ah fuck it now we have to be in this oh yeah absolutely yeah mm. yeah, yeah yeah it was just it was a, it was a wake up call is that the kind of would you have shared that right was this a sort of a fear that people have here did you well, hang on a second now you could wake up in the morning with Russians on uh, not uh, yeah probably Orland or Orland or one of yeah. these big islands uh, Gotland this kind of thing did you share that vibe did you think ah this is getting close right now this is getting too close for comfort yeah I did I did definitely just because um, obviously Russia is Russia is very close to, to Sweden geographically and while I don't think there's any massive risk of of, uh, of Russia invading just the fact that they invaded Ukraine when nobody expected it's obviously raised that raised that spectre mm. that it was while it's not probable it's like it's within the realms of possibility uh, which people hadn't really thought it was until then mm. um give me a few of the personalities right so despite this country's wonderful reputation for equality etc etc they've only recently got their first female prime minister in magdalena anderson uh, it took two votes to do it because her vote she couldn't get i don't think she could get a budget through the parliament or something so she ended up going through this revolving door and eventually getting elected as the country's force who yeah. is she what's she like um well she's she's very popular 
Um, so since since taking over as prime minister in November, I think it was from Stefan Levine, it was a smart move mm. uh, by the Social Democrats to replace the leader because people were starting to see Levine as being a little bit jaded. Mm. And um, Anderson had been his his finance minister, really in the shadows. Um, people didn't know that much about her. Um, but since uh, becoming party leader and and prime minister, she's gone on TV a lot. She comes across as as quite personable and mm. um, she's very active on on social media people like and and, and seem to trust her mm. um, so she's a very popular politician mm. then on the other side of the house if you were to get a centre-right coalition you would have Ulf Kistesson who's the leader of the moderate party yeah now let's not uh, pay any attention to the fact you made a little face there you don't look too impressed <laughs> by uh, Ulf's intellectual <laughs> capacities there Paul uh, well Ulf, Ulf Christensen is it's kind, he's kind of interesting in that uh, he and um, Friedrich Reinfeldt uh, were both candidates to lead the, the youth wing of the moderate party back in the day, a long, long time ago. And Ulf Christensen was the liberal candidate and Reinfeldt was the conservative mm. candidate and they switched. Uh, so Reinfeldt became more liberal and, and Christensen has become uh, more, more conservative and He's he's hard to pin down. He, you know, if you look at the modern party now and you ask people what do they stand for, it's it's hard to say. In the Reinfeld era, you would have said um, lower taxes and what was known as Arbeitslinien, which was getting people off social welfare and into work, which mm-hmm. was seen as a big problem at the time. A lot of people were out of work. Mm-hmm. And, and Reinfeld said, we're going to get them in work, you know. Um, and that was they had a very clear line hmm. with Christian. You don't really know what you're getting. It's more sort of finger in the air. Let's see what way the wind blows. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he, he looks like a kind of a skinnier version of Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons, who would yeah. basically say anything to get a vote at this stage. There's is, an element of that. Yeah, is is there a danger then that, like you say, that if you're not very clear about what you're offering an electorate? that they'll just go somewhere else. Because, I mean, you can't be all things to all men and women in the polling. Yeah, there is there is a danger, you know, for for all um, Christian's manoeuvring and uh, sort of the talk of how he and the Christian Democrats are going to be able to, to rule together and that they can they can do it with the support of the, the Liberals and the Sweden Democrats. They don't actually agree on that much you know and it's very possible that they won't do a whole lot better than they did in the last election when they got what around 22 23 percent i can't remember exactly um but they're hovering around those kind of levels again and if if they don't win the election if social democrats um take over again i think i think christian would be out the door Mm. i think he'd get the sack immediately I think he's pretty much gone, like electionized. Okay, okay, you didn't manage that. Yeah, I Out think so. I think so. But it can, it it, it could go um, either way. This election is completely on a knife edge. It's impossible to predict what way it's going to go at the moment. And that's a perfect time for my next question, which was to ask you to take out your crystal ball and see where do you think that it's going? Because it's kind of like, it really is on a knife edge, right? Yeah. So what we have here is a centre-left alternative by a social democratic party that I think Palme would be you know, twisting in his grave if he saw the kind of things that they were standing up oh, for now. Right? Yeah. Then you have, you know, the same thing on the, on the moderate side. I think Frederick Reinfeldt is wondering, you know, I asked these people to open their hearts and yeah. they've done the opposite, right? Um, will it be more of the same or will it be, you know, Ulf Kisterson and sort of bringing in the Sweden Democrats from the cold? Could you ever see a Sweden Democrat, a minister from the Sweden Democrats, could you ever see them having any actual power in a government here because they're likely to be the third biggest party right yeah i can see it absolutely yeah um, i mean obviously they're they're saying that they're never going to let them in but they can be held over a barrel by the sweden democrats hmm. and then it's a case of do they do they hold firm and you know um stick to their promise of not not giving them um a, a minister post or you know they they could they could bow to the pressure hmm. uh, very possible i think hmm. Would that then be, like, if you're going to start giving people from that party, uh, it's, if you're going to start giving them responsibility for anything, it's going to be quite a radical step. Yeah. Do you think that that would be a radical government? And I'm talking about in terms of residence permits, 
language checks. Now, ultimately, and let's not be behind the door about this, they're targeting brown people. They're not targeting people who look like you and me and the listeners of this podcast. They're targeting people from you are from the Middle East, from Africa, from countries like that. But eventually it is going to make it tougher for us to bring oh, absolutely. people absolutely. That's not on effects for all immigrants, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So do you expect them to be very radical on that front or is it going to take time for them to, to get those things through, would you say? Um, yeah, you're really asking me to, to bring up my crystal, crystal ball here. And That's I, why we bring the experts into this yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm usually I'm usually asking the questions on the on the locals <laughs> podcast. I don't have to do any like actual thinking and, and analysis. Wait, wait, I get the big spotlight out now and put it in your face. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, the question was: Can we expect them to be radical, or is it going to be a paper tiger that we get if there is a centre? No, I think I think they could absolutely go down a more radical path. Yeah, I think I think it's possible. Mm. Yeah. The thing that strikes me is that it's kind of an open goal because I, I still don't have a vote in this country. I'm no. not a citizen, right? So it's very easy to have a go at people like me because what you don't have, you're not going to mm. miss. They don't have my vote. They never will, you know, but you can always have a go at me. That's fine, you know? And I think in doing that then, you know, very few people are going to vote for them, you know, and if they bring in these policies, they're not going to lose a whole lot by doing it. And in fact, they may gain a great deal. if It's, already, it's already happened, you know, the Social Democrats have gone down the same route. The Social Democrats have, have made it tougher to get residents permit offer to get citizenship they've they've already sort of conceded this point to the to the right but in in trying to win votes back from from that side mm. uh so uh, unfortunately i think it's already become tougher for for immigrants in this country and i can't see it getting better in the in the short term mm. in terms of those who we mentioned earlier on that you have to have a you have to get more than four percent of the popular vote for your party to get in yeah uh, and take their seats there, right? We mentioned the Liberals, we mentioned the Christian Democrats, we yeah. mentioned uh, the Green Party. If any of those wasn't to make it, how much do you think that changes? Where the, uh, it changes everything in terms of uh, in terms of who can form the government. Like if the if the Greens don't get in, for example, then it's almost certain that the that the centre right will win. So you wouldn't expect their mandates to go to other left wing parties there. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Mm. No. And then this, on the same side, do you? You mentioned there that the moderates and the Christian Democrats are being very cosy. They could have a minority government with the support of the Sweden Democrats and yeah. probably the Liberals. If the Liverpool, if the Liberals, if the Liberals fall off the map, would that be the same effect there? Would you think? Yes, but I don't think they will. I think the Liberals were were down at two percent like a couple of months ago, and it was they were looking like their worst election ever. Then they changed leader, and they're up around five between five and six percent now. So I think they're safe. Yeah, that's. I seem to remember having this discussion pretty much before every election in my time as yeah. and they can always make it through. You know. Yeah, exactly. And the Christian Democrats, I think, are also safe. I think the Centre Party were were riding high. We haven't really talked about Centre Party. They were they were riding high a while ago. Not so much now. I think they're. Going to get in but they might be down around six percent or so they're, they're also not a party of government right because they don't have ministers they don't have people no. around the, ca- the cabinet table but it's well worth mentioning we mentioned Ulf Kistis and we mentioned Magdalena Andersson uh, Annelie Leuf who is their leader right tell yeah. me a little bit about her because she's also widely hated you mean you mentioned the Green yeah, Party yeah. people hate the Green Party people hate Annie Love as well and they hate her for different reasons um, l- people on the left generally hate her because um, her sort of political idol is Margaret Thatcher mm. uh, when it comes to, to fi- finance. And, I wouldn't and be of, a fan. No, I didn't. I didn't think so. I've, I've, I've understood. <laughs> uh, and uh, people on the right hate her because they see her as being a turncoat on turn, mm. turning her back on the, the alliance on the centre right um, because she has consistently said that she will not rule with the support of the Sweden Democrats, mm. which is a position that the rest of the centre-right held until recently. She's the only one who has held firm. Mm. And it's interesting that she's the one being accused of being a turncoat by them. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that Ulf Christensen at one, t- at one point promised a Swedish Holocaust survivor that he would never yes. do that and very quickly rolled back on that. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's to her enormous credit and she's shown a, little, a lot of backbone in mm. this and long may it last. Does she get credit from left-wing voters, from social democrats, from left-party voters for that kind of thing at all, do you think? A little bit, yeah. And I think she and Mag- the Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson seem to have a very good working relationship. And, and Magdalena Andersson has really talked up her relationship with Annie Love. And I think, you know, she's um, sort of paving, paving the way for a government which enjoys their support. Hmm. For the last several years we've had minority governments in yeah. Sweden right so you have 
you always have this horse trading of you don't have ideology you have what takes you know what will get the most votes and if you're getting a budget through the house or whatever you have to concede to the other side right which has allowed Annie Love not necessarily sort of Thatcherist things going on but mm. she's had plenty to say on what goes into the budget right yeah um is that sustainable for Magdalene Anderson? Because I'm sure what she would like, you know, no more than Fianna Fáil in Ireland, mm. forever longing for the overall majority. She'd love to go back to the time of Parliament yeah. when they had 60%, 54% of the vote. Um, will she be able to get that? Will she be depending on any love for uh, another minority government after this, do you think? It's a it's a massive balancing act from, from Magdalene Anderson because she has the Greens who will definitely row behind her. Mm. But then she also has the centre party and the left party who hate each other mm. because as I said economically centre party are probably the most right wing party mm. and the left party are the most left wing party um, and they hate each other's economic policies mm. and Magdalene Anderson has they don't they don't speak to each other mm. so the social democrats are sort of the the, the negotiator there you know there's there's sort of a, a relay where the left left party will say what they want pass it to social democrats social democrats will say this is what the left party wants and then you know mm. They have to agree without actually speaking to each other. Yeah. Um, so I think there's going to be a real sort of policy mix. If if the if the centre left wins, there'll be some right wing economic policies, some left wing economic policies. Is that not what we love to call in this country melon milk, the middle milk? Like yeah. you know, it's not you don't have the sort of lovely full fat taste of Thatcherism, nor do you have the watered down version of communism. Yeah, we're never we're never going to go back to the the social democratic era of of Palma. Yeah. Where sort of cradle cradle to grave welfare status. You that's you think gone. that's gone? I think it's yeah. gone. Yeah, I do. I still think I'd love to see somebody somewhere in Europe go. You know what? Let's go back to that. You yeah. know, let's go back to you know the labour of the nineteen sixties, but not not the labour strife of that time, but like you know, starting off to that. Yeah. Because I honestly think that if you sell it in the right way to people, that's what most people actually want. Yeah. But they've just been told for so long now that they want something completely different and. If you're going to do it, I was thinking that maybe Sweden might be the place to mm. try it. Um, one of the things that's going to come up, and thank you very much for your time and your expertise on this, Paul, but um, one of the things that's going to come up is this question of schools, right? Yep. So we'll have a lot of people listening to this who work in the what they call free school, or the free schools. Yep. The international English school will be one of them, right? But there's a situation here, basically, and it doesn't exist in pretty much any other country around the world where you can run a school at a profit. Right, yeah. you can take that money out, and you know you can do with it what you will. You can buy your yachts mm. and that. This has proved to be one of those slow-burning things that appears to be reaching a boil. If social media is anything to go by, uh, the social democrats have not said. I think they've said that you can't. They want to take away the, the ability to make a profit. Yeah. That you can keep having private schools. Is that something that's likely to be? decisive in the, at the polls you know when people close the curtain to cast their ballots or do they just not give a shit I think for some voters it will be decisive yeah I think a lot of people care deeply about this issue as you, as you say there's nowhere else in the world that has this system and a lot of people have been have been looking at this in the last few years and going come on what are we what are we doing hmm. schools for profit it's a terrible idea you know I think I think Magdalena Anderson has seen that you know this is a this is a vote winner hmm. if we say we're going to we're going to remove the profit motive from schools people are going to vote for us hmm. so I think it will be decisive for some people yeah do you think then that because the the so the liberal liberal argument in inverted commas for that is that you would get of having free schools is that you get different types of schools right yeah. so you can have schools that have you know a religious theme you have schools that will have a business theme and that kind of thing will there still be a situation where education in English which seems to work very well it yeah. seems to be very popular will that still exist if they are to take the profit motive away would you think I'd imagine so you know if you look at other countries there are English schools in in Denmark and Norway and France and Germany charter schools you know mm. there's just different ways of doing it without having this this uniquely Swedish system. Um, if you're going to be following this election, and I would recommend absolutely everybody who's reading or reading this, who's listening to this, geez, I'm all over the shop today with some of these things. Um, I would re- recommend that you try to keep up with these things because if you're living here and if you're planning to spend any time here, you're as well off to know about it. And one of the best places to find out about these things is, is it the local.se still? Or how do we it's the local.se, yeah. Still after all these after years. After all these years. How, uh, how can people sign up there? Because look at lads, journalism isn't free. I'm fucking sick telling you to sign up to this on Patreon. But uh, it's a, there's, there's usually a really good deal if you want to sign up for the first year in the local, isn't there? Um, there, there is. Yeah, I, got, I don't have the figures in my head at the moment, to be That's honest, because right. uh, you know there, there are different different offers. 
um, at, at different periods of time. But if you go to um, to the local.se, you'll see a sort of become a member button up at the top and you can see what the what the current offer is. Mm. Generally, the monthly fee is around 49 grand a month. So that's a five is less. Well, I was going to say it's less than the price of a pint. Um, it's actually less than the price of a fucking coffee at an espresso house for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm going to gonna blow blow the locals, locals trumpet here. We have some really... I can say this because I'm not one of them. I'm I'm doing other stuff with the local, but we have some really good journalists doing some really good work there, uh, and very important work for for this constituency, for immigrants in in Sweden, and covering the issues that are really really relevant to people who've moved here for whatever reason. Indeed, we have had the wonderful editor Emma Lufkin has been on uh, previously on this podcast, and I don't want to take the piss, so that's why I'm not calling your your newsroom all the time. God, send me somebody from the local, right? But. Um, what kind of coverage? Do you have any idea of what kind of thing? I mean, obviously, they'll be covering the election. You know, is there a lot of coverage planned in the run-up to the election? Do you know? Or will you be doing podcasts your own about it, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, I do a podcast. That's sort of one of my main things at the local at the moment that goes out every Saturday called Sweden in Focus. And that will be focused on the on the election very much in the next few weeks. Um, and yeah, we'll have an awful lot of a lot of election coverage and, and a lot of, on how it affects us. You know, a lot on residence permits, a lot on citizenship and and those kind of issues. Brilliant. Well, in that case, Paul, we may actually drag you back into the studio at some point in the middle of the sep- September or else we'll just provide a link to your wonderful podcast. Sweden and Focus comes out every Saturday. It does. And you can get it. It's on all major platforms, I'm assuming. It is. But the most important thing is to get to the local.se to sign up. Uh, 50 crowns a month. That's what, like 600 a year or something like that. Is that yeah, it might yeah, yeah. the annual deal is usually, you know, you get a bit of a discount on the annual. So, and it's well worth it because like I say you know if you don't speak Swedish yet even if you do speak Swedish get in there support independent journalism support English language journalism uh, support Paul O'Mahony who is of course the editorial product manager at the local.se yes he actually admitted to me that that title was made up by him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so get in there get support in that and uh, Paul we'll get you back in front of this microphone when all is said and done and we'll go I'd over, come back over the bones of this yeah. but for now thanks very much indeed thanks a lot government isn't about morality really what is it about it Stability, keeping things going, preventing anarchy, stopping society, falling to bits, still being here tomorrow. What for? (laughs) What is the ultimate purpose of government, if it isn't for doing good? Minister, government isn't about good and evil, it's only about order or chaos. And it's in order for Italian terrorists to get British bombs. And you don't care? It's not my job to care. That's what politicians are for. My job is to carry out government policy. Even if you think it's wrong? Well, almost all government policy is wrong. (laughs) Frightfully well carried out. (laughs) Humphrey, have you ever known a civil servant to resign on a matter of principle? I should think not. What an appalling suggestion. (laughs) The first time I fully understand that you are purely committed to means and not to ends. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Minister, and all of my colleagues, there is no difference between means and ends. If you believe that, Humphrey, you will go to hell. Ah, yes, Sir Humphrey Appleby on the proper function of government uh, means and ends and all that. And whilst you were enjoying that blast from the TV past uh, from Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, which unfortunately is starting to look more and more like a documentary rather than a comedy show that came out of Britain back in the day, I was looking up what the membership offers are on the local.se because that's what we do on this show. We provide information that is going to make your life in Sweden that little bit easier, right? Now, you can sign up uh, monthly for, let me see, it says 49 crowns for two months of access, and then you pay 49 crowns each month, and you can cancel at any time. Now, like all these things on the internet, there are three options. That was option number one. Option number two, 30% off. Who doesn't like to save a few, Bob? There's an annual deal there for 349 crowns. Uh, it says it's usually 49.99 in euros so you can save 15 euros let's forget about the exchange rates it's the most popular one and it costs less than one crown per day they say proudly on their website that was option two and option three is a multi-year deal for the princely sum of 999 crowns you get a bonus year right so that's obviously the best value for money you join for three years and you pay the price for two years and you have two years of reading the local.se and i'm going to be straight with you right i don't read it 
every day. Sometimes I don't read it from one end of the week to the other, but I'm still going to support it, right? Because we need media like this. We need somebody where somebody fresh off the boat can find out what it's like living in Sweden, what the news about in Sweden. Uh, Paul mentioned that stuff to do with crime and that kind of thing. Where, where do you go and get information about this if not from an English language website, right? So I'm going to be supporting them and I strongly suggest that you get in there too. And uh, have a listen to Paul's podcast, which is called Sweden in Focus, and it's out every Saturday. And that is about it for this week, boys and girls. There's no more housekeeping. I haven't heard anything from the embassy about anything that I'm sure they'd like me to talk about. Um, if you happen to be around at the end of August, you may as well get up here and go to that Gaelic football tournament. If uh, you didn't know anything about it, go on to sl.se. Is it sl? No, it's se. sj.se. Book a train ticket. Come up for the day. If you're above in Yavla, come on down and cheer on the lads and lassies as they do it. You might get in a snaky few points and you might even get back in the last train above to uh, your adopted hometown. So we're moving into that period of the year now where the uh, the holidays are over, as I mentioned at the very top of the show. The out-of-office is turned off for another few weeks now until Christmas, but there's still plenty to look forward to. The Stockholm Gales are struggling through their first soccer season. We have that football tournament to look forward to. There's a few gigs coming up. I actually mailed a band that's coming over here to play, and uh, or I sent a message on Facebook. I haven't heard back from them yet. I must dig them up because they look like a fascinating story as well. So if you have anything that's going on, in the Swedish Irish Society, in the local community, anywhere from Umeå down to Malmö, get in touch and we'll stick it on the podcast here. I got an invitation today to uh, one of the Irish companies above in Yavla who are opening a new office, I think. So I might jump in the car now on the 1st of September and head off up there and see what they have to say for themselves. My WhatsApp has gone bananas here when I'm talking to you. So the summer is over from the sound of that. People are looking for me and they're looking for you and we're trying to put it all in your ears. So if you've anything to share, uh, do get in touch and do let me know. But most importantly, enjoy your yourself enjoy your time here in sweden look after yourself look after one another and shall we be back with you again this time next week with another episode of the irish in sweden podcast good luck (laughs) 